the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we're exploring the mission, vision, and core convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin reading at verse 13. We're going to read through verse 49. Today we're talking about grounded in Christ and growing in Christ. We are a church that is relentlessly Christ-centered. We are grounded in Christ, and we are growing in Christ. Everything that we are is founded upon Jesus. And there is no center, there is no foundation that is good or right other than Christ Jesus. And there's a reason for our centrality as a church upon Christ Jesus, and that reason is biblical. And that reason is spelled out maybe the most clearly here in Luke 24. It's that the Bible is about Jesus, and so our church must be about Jesus, and our lives must be about Jesus. And so let's take a look here at Luke 24 as Jesus explains for us about how the Bible is about him. I'm going to invite you to take a look with me starting at verse 13. We've got a long passage in front of us, and it is so good. This is one of those sections of scripture that like, the more you think about it and consider it, the more mind blowing it is. This is an amazing portion of scripture here. And so just listen to what Jesus says to his disciples on two different occasions here as we work our way through Luke 24, because it is of extreme importance. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were gathered with them together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And they were talking, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. If you want to understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you need to spend some time with Luke 24, because in Luke 24, we have Jesus Christ himself preaching a sermon and letting us in to understand what the whole Bible is about. And spoiler alert, it's about Jesus, all of it, from the very beginning to the very end. This is the story of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus preaching a sermon to these two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And in preaching this sermon, he opens up the Old Testament to us. And he shows us that even in those places where Christ is not explicitly referenced, he is there. My, my favorite theologian is Augustine, and he says Christ is in the old concealed, and Christ is in the new revealed. I love that. It speaks of the fact that Jesus is everywhere, and here in Luke 24, we have Jesus revealing for us the fact that the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
And there are two parts of this story that we're talking about today. The first is the the depressed disciples that Jesus encounters on the road to Emmaus. And the second is the Savior's sermon, the, the, the sermon that Jesus tells them revealing the true nature of the scriptures. And those are the two things that we're going to be talking about this morning. The first is the depressed disciples. These two disciples are making their way to Emmaus. We're told that one of them is named Cleopas. We're not sure who the other one is. There are all sorts of different theories. Church tradition says it was Simon, Cleopas' son, who would become a bishop one day in the future in Jerusalem after Peter's death. They're walking and they're having a discussion. They're having uh, some deliberation. They're having a rather heated debate. And Jesus arises in the middle of the debate and he comes to them and he asks, hey, what are you guys talking about? They are prevented from seeing or from knowing that it's Jesus. They are talking about the guy that is walking with them now to Emmaus. But somehow, they don't realize that this is their risen Savior, that this is Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And we're told that for a while, they're silent, they're quiet. They don't talk about what it is that they're talking about. Their faces are downcast. And then one of them, we're given the name Cleopas, starts to talk and explain what it is that is the center of their deliberations. And he starts, like, surprised. He's like, are you the only person in the whole city that doesn't know what's going on this weekend? I mean... He's kind of, he starts by insulting Jesus, which is a dangerous thing to do. Let me just tell you right that it's not good to start your conversations by insulting Jesus, but that's the way that Cleopas begins here. All right, who are you, man? You must be the only person in this whole city that has no idea what's going on. You should know what we're talking about. He was powerful in word and in deed. He was powerful in what he taught and powerful in the miracles that he performed. And he was here in Jerusalem. And the leaders of our people, the Pharisees, handed him over to the Roman authorities to have him killed, and he then was killed. He died. And here's the most depressing statement that Cleopas makes here. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. The way that Cleopas talks is to say, we don't have that hope anymore. We had hoped at one time that this was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped that this would be the one to redeem Israel. There's a big reason for depression on the part of these disciples. Jesus had been their hope. And in his death, it seemed like their hope had died. But it's not... But in Jesus were invested the hopes of all of all sorts of generations, of generation after generation after generation. It's like the song, The Little Town of Bethlehem says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That's a great line because that's who Jesus was. In him were the hopes of generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. Today's message in our Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com and click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You know, it was in um, First Chronicles 17 
that the Lord came and spoke to David and said, one of your descendants will always be on the throne in Israel. And so these guys had hoped maybe this Jesus is going to be the one that's going to be on the throne. And in his death, it, it, seems, it seemed to them that their hope for the son of David to sit on the throne of Israel had died. The prophets had been telling for generations about the one who would come. He'd be a descendant of David. He'd be a child of David. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He would redeem his people. And for ages and ages and for for generation upon generation, there was this hope of the one that would come, the child of David that would redeem the people of Israel. And what these disciples were saying is, we thought that Jesus was the one that was being talked about. We had hoped. But what they're expressing in the fact that this is in past tense is that they feel like that that's no longer a live hope for them. And this is deeply depressing because what they're saying is not only did this powerful prophet die, but we thought that this was the one that had been promised by God. So we don't know what's happened to the promises that God gave to his people. We don't know what happened to this guy. Well, he, this guy that we had put our hope in is dead. And, and so this was a depressing reason to doubt the promises of God and to feel like the hope that was invested in Jesus Christ, the hope of generations, was now itself dead and gone. These were some depressed disciples. And as you read the text, I hope you can feel their hopelessness. We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped. And they say, how could you not know? How could you not know that this weekend, this past Friday, our hopes were destroyed? These two now had no hope and were walking in darkness and felt caught up in death as they walked along the way to Emmaus. But it wasn't just any random stranger that had come and started walking next to these two disciples as they made their way back to their home from Jerusalem. It was Jesus himself. It was Jesus himself who had joined them. There are a lot of ironies embedded in what the passage says here. These two are are cloaked in darkness, even as the light of the world walks with them. These two are talking about feeling the sting of death, even as they are talking to the one who is life. And so Jesus begins his sermon. And Jesus begins in a very direct way. Verse 25, Jesus says this to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus begins an exposition of the Old Testament. He starts with the very beginning, those books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, starting with those books and then working his way through all of the scriptures. He starts saying, that was about me, that was about me, that was about me. If you had read your Bible, he was saying to his disciples, you would have known that the one that you were to hope in was going to come and then he was going to suffer and then he was going to die. What Jesus was revealing to them was, you feel like your hope is dead because the one you had hoped in is dead. He's saying, you in fact only have hope because I died. That was the fulfillment of the scriptures. 
That's where their hope should have laid. And then he actually makes it more clear as he does the same thing with a broader group of his disciples. These two find out it actually is Jesus. They make their way back into Jerusalem. They tell the disciples what it was that they had seen. Jesus had appeared to Simon. Everyone is rejoicing. Jesus appears again. He assures them because there is still, there's still doubt. There is still doubt on the part of some of his disciples. He assures them that it's him, that it is not a ghost, that it's not a spirit. He's like, let me prove it to you. You can touch my hands and my side, and you can see that I am flesh and blood. Let me eat in front of you so that you can see that I am eating. This is not something that a ghost does. This is really me. And then Jesus again preaches the sermon that he had just preached to these two disciples, and he says this. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's verses 45 and 46. Jesus again says, read the Old Testament and see that it is prophesied throughout that the Savior would come and suffer and die and that on the third day he would rise again from the dead. Jesus is showing his disciples, this Bible is my story. The Old Testament, along with the New, both talk about Jesus, about the fact that he would come, that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would be raised on the third day. Incredibly specific information about what Jesus would come and do. Come, die, and rise. This is why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that that what he received, he passed on of first importance that Christ came, that he died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All of the Bible is telling us about Jesus. It's telling us about the fact that he was to come and that when he came, he would suffer and die. He was there in the old, concealed. Now he's in the new, revealed. And here, Christ Jesus hands to these disciples and to all of us who listen, he hands to us the skeleton key that unlocks the Old Testament and the new as we realize this, this right here, brothers and sisters, this is the story of Jesus Christ. This is extremely important because our temptation, our temptation is to take what Jesus tells us is his story of redemption and to make it either a a self-help manual or to make it just a a series of rules of do this, do that. Our temptation is is to take it, our temptation is to do something with it that takes it away from being the story of the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and makes it into something else, because that can be more palatable to us. And I'm sure that you've seen this sort of thing take place in, in maybe your own reading of Scripture. And it's a temptation for us, right? Think about just one story, the story of David and Goliath. I know that for much of my life, I read it thinking, what are the giants that I need to slay, right? Right? That's not primarily the purpose of the story of David and Goliath. That is the story of God saving his people through his anointed king. The people of Israel able to rise up and conquer along with because the anointed king of Israel had conquered. That's a story preparing us to understand what Jesus came to do. You know, I I heard a lot of times that you you dare to be a Daniel, right? You dare to, to stand up. And the the whole book of Daniel is about how God preserves his people in the midst midst of a world that wants to destroy them, that he saves. 
It's a story that prepares us to meet Jesus. The New Testament makes this clear in a bunch of different places. It reminds us that at the very beginning in Genesis when we're told that that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman and that the head of the serpent would be crushed, that we come to realize that that is Jesus prophesied to us in the very beginning of Genesis. In Psalm 22, when David says the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says them as he is dying upon the cross for us, and we realize these words first written by David are fulfilled in Christ Jesus and speak of his death. Jesus talks about how people had been given the sign of Jonah three days in the belly of the fish and then vomited out on the shore. That was telling us that Christ would be three days in the earth and that he would rise again from the dead, defeating it and conquering it. The Bible is the story of Jesus. You will never understand the scriptures without knowing that it's the story of Christ coming and suffering and dying and rising again on the third day. All of this was in accordance with the scriptures. All of this was for you if you trust in Jesus. Scripture is the drama of redemption of Christ Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's centered on Jesus. It's grounded in him. That is why we as a church are relentlessly centered on Jesus. That is why we are grounded in Christ. That is why we are growing in Christ. Because the entire Bible is grounded upon Jesus. The entire message of Scripture is centered upon Jesus. Why in the world would we seek to do ministry in any other way? Orland Park CRC is a congregation that seeks to be shaped by the word of God. And therefore, we're a congregation that must have Jesus at the very center of each and everything we do. Let me try to bring this home a little bit. Where, where is Jesus in your life? Jesus is at the very center of the scriptures. Jesus must be at the center of the work that we do as a congregation. Jesus must be at the center of your life and of mine. He's got to be at the very core, the very center. He's got to be the very foundation of who we are and what it is that we do. What is it that you are living for? What is your deepest treasure? What is your most substantial desire? What is it that you hope for in the course of your life? Or if you are raising children, what is it that you want for your children? That will start to give you a a sense of of what's in your own heart. Do you want your kids to grow up and and to be well-liked and successful or wealthy or have a good job or have a good house? None of those are a problem on their own. But if if that's the ultimate goal, I mean, it's that Christ has been displaced. Is your deepest desire in your own life and heart that you would be a Christ exalter? That you would be centered on Jesus? Is your greatest hope for your own children that that they will grow up to know Jesus and serve him with everything that they are and everything that they have? Sometimes 
you know, sometimes when the minister says, you know, evaluate your life, is something there instead of Jesus, we think, well, I mean, I'm not like in prison, right? So I'm not doing all that much wrong. I'm not saying like, are you in gross sin? I'm just saying like, what are the subtle things that are trying to work their way in and maybe start to take place alongside of Jesus? If Jesus isn't our absolute center and core and foundation, then we need to repent of that. And if Jesus isn't at the center of your life today because you don't yet know Jesus or trust in him, today is the day to say, God, I want, I want in on this story of redemption. I want in on this. I want Jesus to be at the center of my heart and my life too. The Bible is not chiefly about anything other than Jesus. Not chiefly. And so our lives must be chiefly about Jesus as well. I preached from this text from Luke 24 five years ago. It was the first sermon that I preached in the morning as the pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. As I concluded five years ago, I said this. I said, as your pastor... I want to continually give you Jesus Christ while I am here from the whole of scriptures. Today, I want to recommit myself to that. I will strive with the help of the Holy Spirit as long as I am your pastor to regularly give you Jesus from all of the scriptures. And what I want from all of us is for us to recommit ourselves today as individuals, as as a congregation, to say, my life will be characterized by being centered upon Christ Jesus. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bucham in our series, Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we explore the core mission, vision, and convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.